Hello, folks. It's new episode time. This one is another conversation with a friend of mine. I think you'll find it funny and also useful because it contains some good advice about public speaking and ways of dealing with nerves. The episode is sponsored by italki, which is a service that will help you to develop your fluency in English by having conversations and lessons online to get some speaking time and claim that italki voucher worth a free lesson. Just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, here's a new episode. How are you? Are you all right? Yes, I hope you are. I've no idea if you are but I hope you are. Okay, strange way to begin the episode, but we've started now. So let's carry on, shall we? Okay then. Right, good. Today, I'm talking to friend of the podcast, Sarah Donnelly. Uh, It's not the first time Sarah's been on this podcast, but it's been quite a long time since she was in an episode on her own. I mean, as the only guest, not just alone. I mean... She wasn't just completely on her own in front of a microphone in an empty room. Like, um, Luke, hello, is anyone here? No, I was there too, of course. I mean, without any other guests, right? Because mostly Sarah has been in episodes of this podcast with other people, you see. Earlier this year, I talked to her and Amber about their comedy show, about becoming a mum in France. That was episode 515. And before that, she was in a couple of episodes with Amber and Paul, uh, episodes 460 and 461 to be exact. And she was in one with Sebastian Marx, in which we discussed the 2016 presidential elections in the USA. And that was episodes 388 and 389, of course. Sarah's first appearance on the podcast was all the way back in 2013, in episodes 155 and 157. Too many numbers and dates, Luke. Okay, sorry. Like, don't get angry. It's not my fault. I didn't invent numbers. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, her first appearance was like ages ago. uh, And you'll hear us talk about that episode a little bit and how Sarah felt about it. Um, Sarah is from the United States of America. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's quite a famous country. She originally comes from North Carolina, but has also lived and worked in Washington, D.C., which is where she first started uh, performing stand-up comedy. Then in 2012, she moved to France, roughly at the same time as I did, in fact, after she met a French guy. Uh, Her story is not dissimilar to mine, in fact, except for the differences. Um, Except for all the differences, our stories are the same. Does that make sense? No, not really. Okay, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Anyway, Sarah is primarily a comedian. She's a stand-up and also a comedy writer. She performs on stage very regularly as a solo stand-up performer and also with Amber Minogue in their show Becoming Maman, which, by the way, happens every Thursday evening at 8.15pm evening at the Théâtre Beau Saint-Martin in the third arrondissement of Paris. Okay, that's that's Becoming Mammal. Uh, if you're in town, check it out. It's very, very funny. Sarah also works as an English teacher at university in Paris. So our conversation in this episode covers quite a lot of things, 
But mainly, we talk about these points. So we talk about how Sarah writes jokes and comes up with material for her stand-up comedy performances, some tips for successful public speaking, including how to deal with feelings of nervousness that you might have before you do a speech or performance, and any feelings of shame that you might experience if you feel like you didn't do as well as you wanted. Like just all the usual difficult feelings that we experience when we're doing public speaking. And Sarah's been doing stand-up comedy regularly for years now. And also, uh, she has plenty of experience of talking to large groups of students as a teacher. So she knows a lot about speaking to audiences and has some good advice and experience to share. Sarah is also a language learner, French in this case, and we talk about her experiences of performing comedy in French. There are also the usual tangents and silly stories and things like that. But I think this conversation should be useful and relevant for anyone doing public speaking or speaking publicly in another language. And it's also just nice and fun to spend some time with Sarah. Uh, She she brought me some pumpkin pie uh, for uh, my wife and me, which was very nice of her. Pumpkin pie is is sort of a tradition in the United States at this time of year. And it was delicious. Uh, I don't know why I told you that, except to say it was just nice. And so thanks to Sarah for the pumpkin pie and for coming on the podcast. Obviously, you listening, you weren't able to eat that pie. But I mean, uh, you can just imagine in your head eating some delicious um, pumpkin pie, home homemade pumpkin pie uh, in the sort of uh, in the traditional way, you know, the tr- traditional way that you would eat pumpkin pie by putting it in your mouth, chewing and swallowing it, and then going, mm, that was nice. You can imagine that while you're listening to this episode, if that helps at all. Okay, all right, so that's enough nonsense. Without any further ado, then, let's get started. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the new Skypod. Thank you. How's it? How does it feel to be here? I'm loving it. I think it's great. You've got some nice skylights. We've got the Queen and the Beatles, so it's ready for for Luke. All things English up here. Picture of the Queen on the wall. Picture of the Beatles on the wall, yeah. and uh, bookcases with uh, you know all the all the grammar books and uh, uh, dictionaries. It's just all grammar books. The man just... never stops thinking about the English language. I it's just <laughs> on balance. I think I've probably got about five to ten grammar books, and the rest of it's just sort of random stuff about music and. And things like oh, that. Oh, I see you good on Oxford idioms. Oxford idioms. Mm. I've got an Oxford idioms dictionary. That That's looks right. interesting. Comes in useful sometimes on the podcast when Definitely. I want to teach some idioms. So it's nice to have you on the podcast, like uh, like on your own for a change. Yeah. Because I guess in recent years you've come on with other people. You've been a sort of uh, a guest. Yeah. With a with supporting like, act. Supporting. And now act. I'm headlining. Now you're headlining. <laughs> you've got your own episode. Yeah. You you were on you, you did have your own episode uh, quite a long time ago yeah years ago do you remember when that was I want to say five years ago so when was five years ago twenty thirteen I'm going to find out right now using the power of computers <laughs> and the internet it was uh, episode number one hundred and fifty five right that's like four hundred episodes ago no yep. Uh, and it was called uh, a cup of tea. Uh, sorry, a cup of coffee with Sarah Donnelly. Parts one and two. Parts one and two. And there were two parts. There were two parts. Oh, December fifth of December two thousand and thirteen. So five. I said 
five years. Five years ago. Five years ago. Almost exactly five years ago. So I'll see you in another five years. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Was it because my first one was so bad you had to wait to invite me back five years? Your first one was not so bad. You you said that to me earlier. You felt like you didn't, you you weren't very happy with your performance on the podcast last time, when, you know, five years ago when you had your own episode. Tell us about that. Well, I, um, at that point in time, I come on and I think you'd mentioned to your listeners that you're going to have an English teacher on, but, and a comedian or comedian and English teacher, but everyone jumped on the English teacher part. I said on Facebook, Hey, I'm going to have one of my friends on the podcast. She's uh, a comedian and an English teacher from the United States. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask her? Right. And they were all like about grammar and like boring and hard, very specific and very, uh, difficult grammar questions <laughs> that were posed like fair enough obviously my listeners are like she's an english teacher she should be able she to she should know this. everything i don't know everything well the thing is like you know even very experienced teachers before they go into a class to teach them grammar they research it and stuff first oh yeah unless you know you you do it so often that it's all in your head but it's rare that uh, you can answer any question perfectly no. without consulting one of the many grammar books that you may have in your exactly. in your library exactly yeah, so I was I was a new English teacher, and I felt in some ways maybe I had been missold to your audience, and I felt kind of embarrassed and nervous because at that time I'd been teaching English for like a year, mm-hmm. if a year, yeah. and I mean obviously I've I've been speaking in English my whole life, but you know you do need a few more mm-hmm. trainings. Yeah. Which I don't think I've ever had. So anyways. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, it takes time. I mean, it takes uh, time. you know, to be a really confident English teacher, especially yeah. answering grammar questions, it takes a long time and a lot of experience. So yeah, I kind of threw you in at the deep end. Well, then yeah. I was just like, and then I'd just be like, I don't know, Luke, you should answer this one because you've I, been doing this for so long. And then I felt like, oh, I've just failed. I felt so unconfident. I don't as think well. you need to worry, Sarah. I think that uh, you're probably worrying about it too much, as we do naturally, yeah. don't we? People? I mean, it was five years ago, and that was my first thought coming over here today. So, not, I mean, everyone, feel free uh, or not to go back and listen to episode 155. Yeah. Yeah, you can judge for yourselves. Um, I've got some comments. I'm looking at the page right now on right? the website. And, what did uh, people say? Well, eight months ago, Vivian Zhao listened to the episode. Oh. Hello, Vivian. Um, if I'm saying your name correctly. I never say any of my listeners' names correctly. Oh, Just, me, ne- me neither with my students. Yeah. I actually tell them, though... Uh, let me pronounce your name. I'll try to get as close as possible. And I do want to pronounce it correctly, but I am American. I will say it with an American accent. And that's okay because I teach business English and you just have to get used to hearing your name being said in different ways yeah. because that's just the real world. Yeah, exactly. And so if you have an important meeting with someone and they're butchering your name, you're not going to laugh in their face as sometimes yeah. my students like to do. Um, you know. Because <laughs> you say their name wrong and they can't handle it. They at can't all. handle it. They and laugh in your face. Yeah. It's a bit rude, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. Um, but also, you're a comedian, so y- you make them laugh sometimes. I, well, you probably experience this too as a teacher and a comedian. When you try to, like, teachers, I think people have an image of what a teacher should be. Mm-hmm. And what is that image? Uh, you know, someone serious, very smart, can answer any question at any time. And so it's like, and also teachers, it's like they just exist in a bubble. Like seeing your teacher outside of school, like I rem- it's just like, oh my God, they're human? No, I don't know. It's just like, like yeah. the, I remember. I saw my teacher in a, in a bar. Yeah. Oh, that would be even worse. Mm. I actually was performing. Um, I was opening for our friend Paul Taylor last yeah. 
winter. I guess mm-hmm. that was earlier this year. Yeah. And I was standing at, at the exit as people were leaving the theater t- to promote my show and handing out flyers to my show. And one of my students walks out and it was just like, Ugh! like you, you, you exist outside <laughs> of the school system. And- yeah, it's like, no, I don't actually just, you know, have a cubby that I just, you know, I'm not like a vampire. I just close myself in. and uh, In the teacher's room. In the it's teacher's like, well, room. Well, all the teachers at the end of the day, well, good night, everybody. Good night, Let's everyone. go back into our cupboards, <laughs> uh, along with our dictionaries and all of the chalk dust that we, we have on us. Oh, um, do people know what chalk is these days? Well, I, I, I don't know. Well, chalk is probably a word that many people don't know as list- while they're listening to this. I, I often think... I wonder how much of what I'm saying my audience actually understands. Well, they might they they like the sound of my voice and they do. Probably, well, you have a great English, you know, real British English as you put it out there. Received pronunciation, I suppose. It's nice, but, but I mean, I was, you know, it's all real. It's all you know. Anyone who speaks anyone who's you know speaks English like most people in England do is is got has got real British English. But yeah. I, I have received pronunciation, although actually it's not the majority accent it's in, not in the my majority country. accent uh, lots of, so i've many, heard lots of accents so many regional accents yeah but anyway uh, how did we get on to I, went, that? I just want to mention about chalk the reason is i'm saying that not because i don't think people know the word but because when i when I, we what, were wait. growing up we had chalkboards and teachers that write with chalkboards mm. you know and now it's all dry erase boards what is chalk then basically yeah or chalk uh, how do you say chalk 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 i'll say chalk <laughs> Chalk. American English and British English, they're a little bit different. We have a piece of chalk. (laughs) It's like, where? Chalk. Chalk. Chalk sounds Boston. (laughs) Chalk. Now I'm self conscious. Like, you know, you say a word so many times, you're confused yourself if you're pronouncing correctly. Chalk. Do you know, if you say a word enough, it stops meaning anything. Mm. You notice that? Yes. Chalk, 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 chalk. chalk. (laughs) What is chalk? It's just an abstract sound. Okay, but okay. Chalk, chalk is... I mean, the, the listeners have probably worked it out now with the, the context of what we've been saying, but uh, chalk is a white sort of... <laughs> chalky. Chalky substance. substance. It's, it's, it is... What is chalk made out? This is interesting It's rock. Question. It's limestone, isn't it? Something like oh, that. So, yeah, yeah, I think maybe, it's yeah. sedimentary rock, And basically. back when we were children, people had these things called chalkboards, and they would write on them because technology. We never had pens in our day. We used to pull rocks out of the ground and write on the on, on other slate. rocks. Yeah, rocks writing on rocks. Yeah. That's what chalk is. Yeah. I feel like this could be a premise for a joke. I may steal it. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I've I've been writing jokes today thinking about what are things when you take them out of context. Before but. you get onto that, yes. I'll ask you about that in a minute. Okay. You were talking about how you get people's names wrong, right? Yes. Right? So, do they get your name wrong? Do people get your name wrong? No, uh, Sarah. well, most of the time you just call me Madame or Miss. Ooh. Um, Which one do you prefer, Madame or Miss? Well, mean? I guess I prefer Madame. Why? Miss, in, but they're saying Miss and they don't mean, it means something different. Like Miss in English is a bit, uh, what's the right word? It's a bit pejorative. Yeah, it's like a bit that's patch- what I was going to say, pejorative. But then I wasn't sure. They say that in French, and I wasn't sure if I was just taking a French word and making it an English word. No, it's it's an English word too. Okay. Negative, basically, yeah. I suppose, uh, or patronizing. A bit, but I know that's not what they mean. They're just you know giving me a title. Well, in in the UK, <laughs> in England, when I was a kid at school, we took we called our female teachers Miss. Mm. We called the the male teachers Sir and the female teachers Miss. Even if they were married, you know, we yeah. all called always called them Miss. 
Every now and then, it was funny. Some some one of the one of the kids would call the female teacher mum by mistake. You know, <gasps> it's, it's, oh yeah, that's the worst. Don't hilarious. call your teacher. That's like seeing your teacher outside school. It's calling your teacher mom. <gasps> yeah, but anyway, miss. Yeah, so that maybe they picked it up somehow from British ed- educational culture or something. So, but Madame, just to be clear, is obviously is French. Yes. Um, uh, okay. Which but, and it means miss basically. Uh, More or less. Well, it's not mademoiselle. Mademoiselle though. is... Well, this... Okay, so there. I explain this to my students too because they call me Mrs. No one calls me Mrs. Donnelly, but sometimes on my presentation, they write Mrs. And the abbreviation is MRS. Yeah, in English. In English. And I have to explain to them that Donnelly is actually my maiden name. It's my name, my birth name. Um, yeah. And so I am a MS period. That's Ms. Well, Isn't we it? say in Eng- in American English, we say mi- Miss and Miss. It's the same pronunciation. Oh, is it really? And it was created basically for women who are like, look, I'm not a M-I-S-S. I'm not a Miss. I'm not mm-hmm. a young woman. I don't want to be patronized, but mm-hmm. I'm not married. So I, this is my own title. And married women can have this title too, because MRS would mean I have my husband's last name, and I don't. I see. So I give them a little lesson in American feminism. <laughs> and, they- <laughs> and then they... <laughs> And then they change it on their PowerPoint presentation and everyone forgets what I've said and we move on. Okay. And um, But that is the difference between Mrs. Miss MS period yeah. and Miss. Can I just ask, how old are the, the students you're teaching? Early 20s. Okay, yeah. university. Or university yeah. students. All right then. Um, do, so no, you never have trouble with people getting your name wrong then? Sarah, in France, they call you Sarah? Yeah, Sarah yeah. Donnelly. Sarah Donnelly. Yeah. Sarah spelling? Can they spell oh, the spelling's always wrong. Yeah, Donnelly. Donnelly. It sounds. It's it's writ. It's fin- totally phonetic, but it gets confusing. Sounds like it could be a double barrel name, like someone from Alabama, Donnelly. Donnelly. You know. uh, it's well, maybe we should just well no, because your listeners could find my name online easily. But people, there's two N's and two L's. Yeah, and there's an E and a Y. <laughs> but the order of all of that could, could get. It's confusing. People are like, is it two N's? Is it L-E-Y? Is it L-Y? Right. They think, surely it can't be two N's and two L's. But it is. But it is. So Yeah. Okay. You, d- you don't want them to, to know your name? I thought, no, no. I just thought it could be fun if they could try to spell it, but okay. they could just easily, my name will be yeah. in the episode. So that's a moot point. Yeah, it will <laughs> but be. it's D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. Uh-huh. It's Irish. My great-grandfather was from Ireland, immigrated mm. to the United States, and that's why I have an Irish name. I see, I see. Okay. For me, uh, over the years as a teacher, as an English teacher, I've been called all sorts of things. People <laughs> are getting my name wrong, which, you know, as we established before, we yeah. shouldn't really shouldn't really bother us because this is just the, 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 the international community, right? Just- it, it actually doesn't bother me. I think no, you I- have to take it with a laugh and a grain of salt, and it's a, it's a moment for people to be human and talk yeah. to each other. I find it actually... Yeah deeply hilarious i have to say so so i've i've had all sorts of things and my listeners have heard this this before but i've you know obviously it's luke but i get luck all the time mm, yeah and of course they all they all constantly make jokes that they, they used to oh look at luke which is hilarious obviously look at luke yeah uh, <laughs> um, good one mis, mis, mr luck i get that on, on my homework not so much in France, but, you know, when I was teaching in, in England and we mm-hmm. had students from all around the world, so my homework often would have Mr. Luck or Teacher Luck on the top. Um, and uh, also I've been called Rook. Rook? Rook. Oh. R-double-O-K, but the pronunciation, Rook. And uh, in Japan, it's Ruku. Uh, wow. Ruku. <laughs> <laughs> and in France, obviously in France, it's like Luke. 
Yeah, Luke. And uh, that's L-U-C. Well, I guess your student... Mine don't even say my name and that's the difference. They just call me Madame. Not Madame Donnelly. It's just Madame. They don't right. call me anything else. Uh, that's great though. But like I said, you know, we're all going to miss... Pronounced, but this goes back to Vivian's comment, which yeah. is what I'm now. I'm very curious to know. So Vivian Zhao, Vivian, mm. Vivian, Vivian. I don't know. Vid- Vivian Zhao. Eight months ago, I uh, wrote uh, on the page. She said, "I don't know if it's too late, but please tell Sarah that she's so cute." Ah, it's not too late, Vivian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm very loud. I, I it's love not her. Too late. I love her outgoing character, easy confidence, and good humor. Oh, typically American. Well. Ta-da! And I wrote, not too late. I've forwarded your message to her. I'm sure she'll appreciate it. Thank you, Vivian. Did you, I forward you that to you? Not I, didn't really, forward I thought I did. I thought I, I screen grabbed it and sent it to you. You know what? This is really, this is really nice because I think this is a good lesson ultimately like sometimes how we feel about ourselves and what we're presenting can be completely different experience than someone else is having. And so I'm glad we actually talked about this because this is something that I had a bit of shame coming with me into the podcast today. We talked about it. And now Vivian left that nice comment. Because in your mind, you're thinking, I failed in episode 155 because I couldn't answer all the grammar questions. But, you know, it doesn't matter. They just liked you as a person. That's the most most important thing. Well, that's very kind and that's very nice. Um, Okay. Uh, When I spell my name, my surname to French people, they they get it wrong all the time. It's hilarious. So I say, you know, my name's Thompson. And first of all, they think it's like the television because there's a there's a company that produces televisions. It's quite well known in France, Mm. Thompson. And it's T-O-M-S-O-N. I was going to say the P is probably what throws them off every time. Forget about the P. But the P is the thing, right? So, and then I say, no, P it's, it's is very important. That rounds out that last name. Yeah, Thompson. Yeah. I mean, you can say it with or without. You can say Thompson, Thompson. I don't mind. I say Thompson because there's a. Thompson because it's there. It's, it's not Thompson, <laughs> but it's Tom- <coughs> Thompson. And then so I say, I've said in the past quite a lot of times to people, like in the supermarket, when I'm. Anyway, whatever. When they have to write my name, I say it's Thompson with a P, and they write Pompson, Pompson, P O M S O N, Thompson with a P, Pompson, Thompson with a P. <laughs> that's pretty good. I love it. I love it. Oh, um, that's funny. Okay, so there you go. That's when you were last on the podcast. So, what have you been up to? You've been doing lots of comedy. You've been. You told me that you've been uh, writing new jokes, writing new material. Yes. Is that difficult to write new material? He asked as if he doesn't know. But uh, <laughs> And the answer is yes, it is difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's – well, it's interesting. I feel like in the past two years especially, I've done a lot of comedy writing in different forms, which kind of gets your brain – like when you write jokes for yourself, for your stand-up, that's one thing. And then when you write jokes for – uh, a video sketch you want to shoot. That's another thing. And then when you're writing jokes, as we've done um, for a TV show, that's a whole, that's another thing for someone else to take and then make it into their show. You're talking about Paul's show, then. Paul's show, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then also, yeah, so it's been really, it's been interesting. I think they're all very good exercises. Um, I'm always looking for the best way to get my mind in the right you have to kind of prime yourself before you write jokes, I think. Let's talk about writing jokes for your, for, for you, right? Okay. Uh, for your stand-up, right? For my stand-up. Right. So, so, so 
When do you write jokes? Well, it really it, it really depends. So I was going to say there's two things. Either I kind of prime myself to write jokes, meaning I'll watch comedy. I'll watch other people perform. Yeah. Um, not live. Like I'll be at home and I'll watch some Netflix or I'll maybe watch one of my old sets to kind of get my mind in like a comedic way. In the comedy zone. You get in into the, the comedy, comedy zone. zone. And then um, – and then what I did today is I was actually just talking out loud and I was yeah. recording myself. Yeah, that's good. Because um, I was I was multitasking. I was doing my hair and writing, <laughs> writing jokes. But sometimes I am quiet and I write in my joke book. I like to handwrite things. Yeah. This is when I do it in English. Sometimes, I don't know, you just have an idea and it comes to you and you're just like, ah, I don't know. It's hard, like, that's true. Like literally just get an idea. Like I had this idea for a premise, which I'm working on. Um. And it just came to me the other night. A A premise. A premise. The idea of the joke. So The basic idea. The basic idea without the punchline per se. Without necessarily, yeah, without the setup of the punchline, you got the basic idea, which is, well, can you give us an idea of a a premise? Yeah. Without um, without giving away too much of your material that you you, um, are using? Yeah, I won't do this joke because I feel like uh, it's not, I don't even want to talk about it. It's not ready yet. And it's a bit dirty and i don't know if your listeners would appreciate that yeah they might be listening to this in the morning yeah uh, with their with 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 their teacher or something but um yeah one of one of my jokes that i do right now is there's this idea that certain jobs uh, certain people are uh look good because they have a certain job okay so there are certain jobs where we think oh yeah well they're all attractive and in my joke i talk about firemen Mm -hmm. and some of these jobs also have calendars these sexy (laughs) calendars associated with the job not many jobs have calendars not many jobs have calendars is it just firemen there's firemen's calendars in my joke i talk about the french rugby team has a calendar and there's and there we think it's going to be these sexy calendars and then i kind of weave in and out so that's the premise of like why are some jobs have this idea that they're going to be sexy by default and some jobs we think absolutely not what would be the worst calendar for you know worst job to be made into a calendar yeah i don't know because that's kind of where my joke leads like maybe a surgeon you know no they're emergency do you think they're quite sexy yeah, but we've um, we've we've opened up your gallbladder and uh, everything's just fine. Yeah, that's powerful. Someone we've, have confidence to open up another human being that could be very sexy. Oh yeah, uh, what I'm going to do, Sarah? I'm just going to uh, penetrate your body. No, I'm it. not saying I would want that. Like, I'm not saying <laughs> for my just, gallbladder surgery, I'm going to be turned on by my surgeon. I'm just saying in general. I'm going to use I'm outside gonna, looking in. I'm going to use my instrument to penetrate uh, your body and uh, then nope. you're going to feel a whole lot better. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Those poor students who are in the morning with their, with their teacher. I was trying to be nice and say, let's just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. Um, but, so uh, anyway, so that's the premise. And then I've got jokes along the way. And, I, mm-hmm. and that's, what that, that's what that thought is. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> then, so the premise. And then, then what's the next step? So you've got the basic premise of the idea. It's kind of like a bit, I'm going to use a word now, nebula. Ooh, Ooh. I've never used that word before. I think ever. I've heard people using it. I actually heard someone else what using What is a nebula? Nebula is I mean, mean I know I like it's explained. So it's an adjective, right? Mm-hmm. I actually checked it. Okay. This is the thing. This is how I live my life. So I was listening to someone else's podcast and they used the word nebula a few times. It was the Adam Buxton podcast. Okay. He's very sort of wordy. Mm-hmm. 
And so Clearly. He used the, yeah, he wears the word <laughs> nebula and he used it a few times. I'm like, nebula, that's a brilliant word. What does that mean? And it means kind of like uh, made like form, like um, of unspecific form. Of unspecific, isn't it re- referring to neuroscience in the brain and there's like a nebulous or is that part of a cell maybe? Maybe, maybe. But nebula basically means where the, the form or the shape is um, is vague. Uh, oh, let, okay. let me just... Because uh, I feel like I know that word from science. Yeah, it sounds scientific. Like a high it? school science oh, it's, No, it's class. in space. It's a, a Space! Ne- but that's a di- star that's like an unformed... But that's different. That's a oh. nebula, N-E-B-U-L-A. That's an oh. interstellar cloud of dust, hydrogen, helium, and other ionized gases, of course. <laughs> As they're wont to do. <laughs> yeah. But nebula, oh no, not nebula with an A. I want nebula oh, with an E-R. Wow. I actually love discovering no, no, new words. Nebula with A-R, that's it. Nebula. Nebular? So relating to, oh, <gasps> I love this. This is brilliant, this dude. <laughs> Relating to or denoting to nebula or nebulae. Oh, for goodness, goodness sake. Um, Nebular. Oh, no, it's nebulous. Nebulous. That's the word. Oh, listeners, do forgive me. I'm, I'm not in the best of health. He's nebulous means well. in a kind of hazy cloud. Like? A nebula. Like a nebula. Yeah. Nebulous is spelled N-E-B-U-L-O-U-S. Well, nebulous Look. makes sense. It's the adjective if, if nebula is the noun. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. neb- nebula, N-E-B-U-L-A is like a cloud of stuff in space. Yeah. But nebulous, N-E-B-U-L-O-U-S is an adjective. Nebulous. 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 There you go. So nebulous. And, it, and this is the one I'm looking at. Definition two here. Of a concept, uh, vague or ill-defined. So not clearly defined or vague concept. Right? So yeah. nebulous. Nebulous. So the, 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 you've got your premise. Yes. But the joke is kind of nebulous. The joke is nebulous because in order to have a stand-up joke, you need to have your setup, which is kind of like if... <laughs> I'm going to make an American analogy playing baseball. It's like you're at bat and you're holding the bat and you, you're you getting ready to swing. Yeah. And then the punchline, you make contact with the ball and, right. and then you get hit the home run and ah, everyone's yeah. cheering. So the setup sets up the joke mm-hmm. and then the punchline, you're building the tension in the joke and then the punchline releases the tension and people yeah. laugh. Yeah. So I got to do a Wednesday night. I went to this, no, Tuesday night. I went to this new show here in Paris and I'm very tired of my material, yeah, my old material. It's not old, but just, I don't know. I wanted to create something new. And so I went on stage with my notebook, my joke book, yeah. with a bunch of premises. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I like to improvise and I'm comfortable standing on stage and talking about nonsense. And um, I recorded it all to try to see what I could pick apart. And it was a very cool audience. And they were just letting me kind of play and tell my half-formed jokes. In English, that, that was. This was yeah. in English, yes. Okay. Oh, I operate cool. in a different way in French. <laughs> just, just before we go on to French. So so yeah. you, you managed to get some proper bits of material then out of that writing experiment, did you? I think... Not, uh, well, I haven't listened back to that particular set, but it was just nice to stand on stage and say the words and see what was people were responding Mm. to. Mm. And so, like, one joke is about, um, self esteem, another joke is about, uh, 
flying on a private plane for the first time in my life, which is actually a story, but I'm trying to find a way to get the jokes in there. And so anyways, it's just nice to put things out and things, because you know, this is what the joy of comedy is. Sometimes things you think are really funny, you say in front of an audience, they're just like, nope. And you get that great immediate feedback right then and there. But how does it feel though, when you're trying out new material and you say something that, you know, you're working on a bit and, and the audience don't laugh, how does it feel? Um, I think when I was a new comic, I would feel like, oh, I'm so unfunny. And I would just go into myself and be like, you're horrible. And you shouldn't even be doing this. And, you know, kind of this whole negative thing. But now I'm just like, okay, that didn't work. So what do I need to do to fix it? Is it my wording? Is it actually not that Mm -hmm. funny? Do I listen back and say, oh, my words don't actually make sense. Like I haven't set it up correctly. Um, in working on my show with Amber, who's also a friend of the podcast, uh, we have some bits we just could not let go. And we knew they were funny, but the audience wasn't responding well to them in our show. And so... so when you say you, you couldn't let them go, you couldn't just throw them away. We weren't just going to throw them away because we love them. And we knew at the core there was some great stuff. And so, mm. you know, we'd rewrite and rewrite and then we'd watch back the show and then we'd listen when we were performing what would be different. And so that's okay. the, that's a whole other part of the writing okay. process. So that's too. coming up with new material. What about yeah. what about sort of material that you that you came up with some time ago that you know really well and that probably works every time. Where does that fit into your, your whole uh, sort of uh, approach to doing comedy? You know, do you, how do you feel about that, that tried and tested material? Tried and tested material is great. And I try to use that for shows where I need to be (laughs) on and tried and tested. And I want to be sure it's funny and a smash and everything. Where you can't afford to take a risk or something. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but, you know, for example, the show I did Wednesday night, Wednesday night, it was Tuesday night. Not that it matters because no this one is knows. recording and doesn't, you know, what is time? Anyways. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we, we already reversed the space time continuum, didn't we, earlier? I don't yeah, but remember. you're going to edit that out. Oh, yeah, that's no right. Sense. I edited out that bit. I think yeah. it's going to be bonus uh, content in, oh, the, in, the, in the app, ladies and gents, which is available from the app store. Yay, Luke's I have it. the app. Do you? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Do I? Rem- I? I remember. You grab yeah. my phone. You're like, you need my app. Yeah, I downloaded it onto your phone <laughs> for you. Yes, you did. Okay. Um, so where were we? What were we talking about there? Uh, I don't remember. When oh, I was just saying no. When I performed the other night, yeah. I could do all premises. It felt like a very low stake show, meaning it was at a bar. People had not paid to come. They could easily leave upon their own free will. Yeah, there was you know. No, no sort of super important people from the industry in the audience. No, I mean that's the thing. You never want to. I always take every gig seriously because you never know who's in the audience, of course. But I felt a bit more free, which is why it was such a relief because I haven't done a show like that in a very long time. I just had the best time because I was like, I'm just going to play and do some new things. Where where was that, by the way? This is called the Wishing Light Comedy. Sorry, Wishing Light. Wishing Light. Oh, yeah. And they're doing, well, because they're not an actual static club. They're kind of like, they produce comedy shows in French mostly, uh-huh. and then they have once or twice a month in English. And yeah. so this is only their second English night. And it was actually great. It was in yeah. this like really kind of nasty bar by Bastille, but like perfect for it wasn't an open mic, but it was almost an open mic, you know, like the bar not that nice lights turned up all the way like we could see everything just every flaw and perfection imperfection of the room it just brought me back to doing stand-up in dc when i first started in the open mics and like you know like five euros for a pint of beer so it's like just this nice dive bar and 
yeah. random audience on like a raining Tuesday night. And I was like, yeah, let's just do some unfinished jokes. And they, then the audience was like totally down for it. And yeah. everyone had a great time. It's great. What was the general makeup of the audience? Were they all French? They were not all French. Um, probably what helped is that they seemed to be connected to a lot of the people performing. So that's always nice. Friends of the Friends performers. Of, of the performers and maybe some other performers who wanted to get on stage. And we yeah. had a, it was a, it was a nice, nice little show. Okay. It felt good. Yeah. So that's performing in English. And yeah. you have, you recently did some fairly big gigs in English supporting, yeah. supporting the likes of uh, Gad El Malay, first yes. of all, who not everyone in my audience will know. But I mean, you know, how would we summer, summarize Gad as a as a phenomenon? Um, he's definitely the most famous francophone comedian, and he's known the world over. If you don't know him, that's okay. But he's sold out every show on his tour. He's doing an international tour of like twenty three cities, and he sold out every city. And he's performing. Actually, in December, he's performing in Asia. He's performed in Europe. He's performed in the U.S. So I think for me, that's pretty impressive that you can sell out 23 venues as a stand-up all yeah, over the world. Yeah. I don't think there's many people that yeah. can do that. We need to say his name again. Gad El Malay. Okay. He is Moroccan, uh, performs, became huge in, in France and in French, and, and people love him. I mean, and he's, and he's mm. extremely talented, very nice. And he started performing in English. Right. So... Um, so he started performing in English. Yeah. He did a few dates in uh, parts of Northern Europe yes. recently, and you were selected to to be to one, open his opening him. act, his yeah. only opening his act. His only opening act. For so three he was dates. he was doing yeah. for three dates. So yeah. he he did how long? Like how many how many minutes? How many hours did he do in his show? Oh, so I so I would I was his opening support, and yeah. I would do you know I had about fifteen minutes, and then yeah. he would do around an hour. Okay. But the first night, the first night of the tour, uh, he did like an hour and twenty minutes, uh, oh, which wow. was phenomenal. It's amazing to see someone perform in their non-native language and just be so comfortable, deft, and comfortable in the language and his yeah. crowd work. And I was extremely impressed. And I had seen him perform. On his Netflix. It was my first time seeing him perform live. Actually, that's not true. It's not my first time seeing him perform live. He performed with Jerry Seinfeld in Paris. Yeah. I which there. I saw him. I saw yeah, him too. Which was great. But this it was this was his show and it was really like his time and I watched from backstage and it was great. Fantastic. Yeah. I actually almost sort of I almost met him. Right. So this is my, <laughs> hey, I almost met, this is my, I didn't meet Gad El Malay story. So it was at the So Gymnast, mm-hmm. um, which just, what happened to the So Gymnast? I don't, I don't know. know. It's one of the places we used to do comedy and uh, it's just gone. It's kind of closed or closed something. Closed up, yeah. Um, we broke it. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> only the best can enter these doors and yes. we've had the best, so we might as well shut down yeah. now. Um, so, um so anyway, I was at the Sojourn House at the New York Comedy Night, um, and I was on the show with a few other people, and uh, the show started. Sebastian was on stage, um, and uh, Seb was on stage, uh, in, you know, doing his uh, introductory material and stuff, and uh, the door was closed, and then I was standing by the door, the door opened, and a few people came in late, and I noticed that one of them was um it wasn't russian it's not the russian joke again uh one one of them was um gad el malay right yeah. and i was like wow, wow. yeah he had, he had a cap on yeah. and he was kind of keeping a low profile as celebrities do he's very famous in, yeah. in france yeah massively famous yeah. in france and so he came in and and i just went bonsoir you know without even noticing, realizing who it was yeah. and he walked past me and sort of you know said bonsoir to me and i was like 
wow, it's Gadel Malay's at our show. Oh my God. <laughs> and then, and, and then when ev- all the other comedians found out, everyone was freaking out. Yeah. And like some of the other comics were like getting all nervous and crazy and stuff. And I was, I was thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to play this cool. That's, that was my attitude. I'm going to play this cool, right? Yeah, be cool. Yeah, I'm, going to, I'm not going to be crazy and go up to him and bother him. Hey, hey, hello, Gad. It's really nice to meet you. My name's Luke. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to be like that. And so I'll, I thought I'll play it cool because I'm going to, I'm on at the end. I'm, I'm the last comic on this show. And so I thought, you know, I'll wait. I'll go up. I'll do my set. I'll try and do a good set because it looks like a good audience. And then once he's seen that I'm a comedian, then yeah. he'll be more willing to talk to me yeah. as a, as a sort of, not an equal, but as a peer. You know? No, but the, the, you know what? It's funny because people are asking me, what was it like to be with him? And it's the same thing where it's like, you know, obviously we're on different levels. <laughs> yeah, totally. But comedians always want to talk to their comedians. Yeah. And because there's a mutual respect and understanding and we know that what we're doing is hard. So if someone says they're a comedian and you, and they're legit, meaning they're not, they haven't done like two shows in their entire life, you know, yeah. oh, I'm a stand up. No. Yeah. You can you have that door. That door is open to talk more yeah. openly. So, so totally. So I thought I'll just wait and, and I'll, I'll I'll speak to him after I've been on. But it was one of those New York comedy nights that go on forever and ever, <laughs> right? And I was the last performer. Gad went up and he did ten minutes in the middle of the show yeah. and he smashed it. He, he yeah, completely killed. He, he was brilliant. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I can't wait to get up on stage and then I can speak to him. And uh, so I went up and I did all right. You know, I did okay. I did yeah. my tried and tested stuff and it went well. And I was like. Coming off the stage, feeling pleased with myself. I was like, I'm going to meet Gad Elmaleh now. And as I approached the back of the room, I just saw his legs disappearing yeah. out, of the, out of the door. And I was like, he just left. He left. He didn't. I was yeah. thinking, obviously in my head, I was like, he didn't want to talk to me. But he, was, he no. must have been busy and doing something else. Well, I think he probably left before the show, if you were the last performer, before the show got out. So he wouldn't be mobbed by people. The thing is, he was with, a yeah, exactly. He wanted to leave before everyone yeah. mobbed him. Yeah. Yes. But also he was with some other people and they'd already gone downstairs to the bar. So he yes. wanted to go and meet his friends. Yeah. And also Sebastian had said to him, oh, stick around and see Luke, which I'm you know flattered by. And so I was like, oh, this is he great. He did stick around he, to see he, Luke. He stuck yeah. around to see, but then he just disappeared immediately. So he's like, yeah. right, I've seen Luke. I'm, you know, it was all right. I'll yeah. just go to the bar now. So it's kind of like, it's, I need closure. I need to I finally meet Gad. Hey, Gad, you know, hey, I did a show with you once. And he'll be like, I don't remember. <laughs> he'll be like, a lot of people have done a show yeah, with yeah. me once. Like, oh, did you? Uh, okay, fine. Uh, but anyway, so anyway, but you were, you were, uh, you did 15 minutes at yeah. the beginning of his show three times. Yes. So, so what was that like performing in front of Gad's audience? Then? Well, um, I feel very, obviously very lucky that I had this experience. Um, and I, fe- I also feel lucky that I had, I had toured earlier this year, just, mm you know, like a ragtag crew, like with no one famous. Mm -hmm. I just got some gigs in some other European cities. And so for me, I felt like that was really nice because it's, it can be when you perform in a different country. Where? Sorry. I performed in Belgium um, and the Netherlands and Denmark. And I have performed in Belgium and the Netherlands before. So that kind of gave me some reassurance. Okay. I know what those audiences know because obviously a lot of, my material, not obviously, but a lot of my material is about living in France and being a foreign person in France. And mm-hmm. so you kind of worry, is that going to translate outside of France? Are people going to be interested? I have other jokes and I managed to do a lot of jokes, um, not necessarily about that per se, but mm-hmm. so it's, it's that fear, but his audiences, the thing that's great when you get to open for someone, whether it's Gad or Paul, mm-hmm. 
they both have really nice audiences. They're really keen to be there. They want to see stand-up comedy. They yeah. know why they're there. Yeah. And they're, they come to see an English show. They've come to see a show in Eng- well, <laughs> mm-hmm. after one of the shows, uh, someone managed to come up to Gad in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, and she was speaking in French, and apparently she had flown from Bordeaux to see him perform. <sighs> And she didn't understand any English because he he didn't do any dates in France, and I think that I think that was the choice because he people would have come. They're like, oh, it's Gad. We don't care. It's in English, and it just would have been a nightmare. Pilgrimage. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll travel around the world. To she see literally him. flew from Bordeaux to Amsterdam to see him perform. I yeah. mean, if that talks about kind of celebrity he yeah. has. But it was so. in English, and she was like, uh, I didn't she said understand. she didn't understand. Oh, poor girl. Yeah, Woman. but she but that was you know addressed when it was like this is my tour in english right as it was said really? <laughs> and all of the communications yeah. really all the marketing said yeah. in english yeah 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 okay. all right but um that's cool yeah so it was very cool it was very cool and he is very nice and you know as like most like any good stand-up he loves stand-up comedy which is why i'm sure he stayed to watch you because he yeah, suppose, you yeah. know you want to see other people do stand-up yeah. and so yeah. it was very, very cool experience. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Two thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. What about performing in French then? Performing in French. So I started performing in French this year. What, um, what's, your, what's your level of French? When you started performing, what level of French would you say you had? I mean, how do you feel about your French? How do I feel about my French? I feel it's pretty good. Um, when I first arrived six years ago yeah. in Paris, I had an A... 1.2 level. Oh, 1.2. <laughs> that, that point two is good for the it ego. Wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite an A2. Or maybe yeah. it was an A2. I can't remember. Maybe that's what that point A2 is. A1.2 is a thing, yeah. I think it was an A1.2. Oh, that, that point two. Oh, it makes you feel good, doesn't well, it? Well, it means you're just, you know, you're well, not at zero. Yeah. <laughs> you're just slightly above. One, two or three notches above nothing. The last time I was in a French class, I did past the Delph B2. Mm. Um, well, that's all you need. If you've got, you got a certificate. Barely. I literally got the lowest score that because there was a writing component. That ah. French autoclave. Uh, ah. So I got the lowest score you could possibly get to pass B2, but uh, that was like four f- years ago. So I think I'm probably a C1 now. Yeah, probably. If you're doing comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, so anyways, so, so B, you got let's the, say B two. I'm advanced French. Yeah, yeah. You person. got to the point where you felt okay. I think I can probably uh, perform comedy in French. It's a big, big step. Yeah, a lot of my friends, our friends who perform in English, who are French or francophone, have been encouraging me to try. And I went last a year ago. I performed in Luxembourg with Paul Taylor, Sebastian Marx, and Yassine Belous. Mm-hmm. And Yassine and I... All three who have been on this podcast. Yeah. Before. And Yassine is... Uh, everyone, everyone's so great. But Yassine, we, me and Yassine were talking a lot and I was helping him with some of his writing of his English jokes and he was really encouraging me. And he yeah. said, I have a show called Première Fois, First Time, yeah. and it's a new material show. Yeah. Um, maybe he's talked about it. And, uh, no, I don't think he did talk about it. No. But the whole concept of the show is that if you come on the show, it has to be new material. It can't be anything you've done before. Yeah. And um, he said, if you want to come on my show, I'd be happy to put you on in French. And I was like, okay. And so I just decided to bite the bullet and just 
kind of write a few things and translate a few things into French and do a little five-minute set. And so the first mm-hmm. time I performed in French was on the show. It was my double first time, first time performing in French, first time on the show. And How was it? It went well. I mean, there's three layers. The first layer is like, will I, will people understand what I'm saying? Because I'm a foreign person. I have an accent. So can, can they even understand what I'm saying? Okay, they can. Great. Two, is this funny in French? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, check. Three, uh, two. And I forgot the third thing is, but it doesn't. And then the third thing is like, am I saying the words right or have I forgotten something or have I gotten too nervous to even mm-hmm. get the words out correctly? Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. so. Um, but you, you managed to tick all three of those categories. I managed to tick all three and they were laughing. I'm not sure they understood every single piece. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it went well. And I remember I listened back. I was nervous. I was so nervous. Like more nervous I've been in years for stand-up. Yeah. And sh- I was just shaking like a leaf. You know, when you hold the microphone and your hand is just uh, like, ah. Good evening, everybody. Yeah. Um, and what's been great about this experience. So I performed in February and then I had, I was building up my show and I didn't have time to go back to French. And I started performing in French again seriously in May. And then from since May, I've been f- performing in French two times a week about. Wow, that's great. So it's, it's getting better and better all the time. It's getting better and better because I finally, I got my confidence. I had to get my sea legs in French. Sea legs? Sea legs. Arr. Arr. What are sea legs? Yeah, I guess it's uh, the idiomatic expression referring to sailors and not being seasick on boats, I think. I, no, I think you're probably right. I'd imagine having sea legs is when you can just walk around on a boat. And you're okay and, and you're not going to feel sick and, and you're, you're, not just comf- lose, you're at ease. And you're not going to lose your balance. Yeah. Either you're just walking around. Yeah, I'm fine. I think Normal. that's what that means. But I, so I had to get I had to get my sea legs in French. I had to get the confidence that like I am people can understand me. Mm-hmm. And I am funny in French. And then cuz I'm still cuz I had this epiphany one day. It was like back it was in June and I was like you're still you. It's just a different language. It's not going to be perfect. You have to but you you know, it's a whole process of putting yourself out there and in another language and just trying things and and, and what the thing is you don't have to be perfect. It's quite yeah. a quite a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Did, did, is that the sort of thing that helps? That helped a lot. That I didn't have to be perfect, and that I also had to accept the fact how I want to how I perform in English. It's not going to be the same how I perform in French because of several different reasons. One of them being language. Yeah. One of them being like how comfortable I am with the language, and and you know I like to do a lot of improvisation and crowd work in my yeah. English yeah. performance, and that's not really I'm not at a place where I can do that yet in my French performance, and just accepting that. And then once that happened, things started going much much better, and right. I just started rocking it. That's but there's you know there's still times. Um, one question: Do you feel like a different person in 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 French? I. I, people say this. I don't feel like a different person in French. No. Um, I mean, I guess in the way I feel, obviously, when I am expressing myself in English, I am being my true self. When I'm expressing myself in French, it's kind of, I'm not getting to show all of me. Are you, I guess are you, I could are you say. putting on a, are you p- pretending to be French when you speak French? No. Absolutely. Right. But how do you get, how do you adopt the, the, the body language, the, the pronunciation? Do you not feel like it's, you're kind of, certainly at the beginning, you feel like you're doing a, an impression of a French person? No. Does it not feel like that? No, I feel really? like I'm me speaking French. Yeah, okay. But I mean, right, I mean, mannerisms, like the, the way you hold your body, the way that, uh, you know, all these things, are they not, isn't that like a whole different set of body language in French? Do you know what I mean? Well, um, I don't, 
no, no, because I think for me, having lived here for six years, ha- having a French husband, yeah, feeling quite integrated in, in French culture and society, it's all blurred now for me. Like, yeah. I know what you're saying. French people, they do like this, like, like well, they just, raise their eyebrow and they kind of, and I do that too. Some or they oh uh, boof or whatever. These little like the, these little shoulder shrugs and stuff that Americans do not do, but it's yeah. been incorporated into my life, so it's hard to know that line. The reason why I said that is because you know I'm talking to my audience who are probably trying to learn English and maybe other languages too. Yes, and the, the idea that it's not just about getting the words right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also okay. the, the 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 language is not just the words; it's also the way the words are delivered, and it's like little body language like uh little features of body language and stuff too and sounds and facial expressions and things that that is all part of the language too so i mean you're you're doing it without really even thinking i about guess it. so and as a performer i i guess i am more attuned to that and yeah. more sensitive to that yeah, in a way yeah. that maybe people who don't perform on stage are so maybe that's why you probably do i've that. already picking i'm already picking that up it's not something yeah. i consciously you, you, think you just about. did that quite naturally but I, i've just met some students who I feel like they're learning the language just like as if they're learning maths or something. Mm. And um, and so it's just like this, they forget that it's something that you that you do. It's not necessarily something you know. You know? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Language, it's, it's a living thing. It's an active muscle. I right. mean, yeah. and the way I like to say me performing stand up a couple times a week, regardless of the language, it's like me going to the gym. If I was a professional athlete, like I just, yeah. I have to go, this is my workout. It's probably my routine. It's how I stay fit, yeah. but it's the same way of practicing any language. Right. Right, okay. You just have to practice. But for me, I have, I mean, I have a joke about this in French and I say, it's kind of hard to translate cause it doesn't really mm-hmm. make sense. But I'm basically saying how I've in, so this is true. I performed in French, you know, I've been performing in French for a couple months and, I've had several people come up to me after shows and say, wow, that was really great. But like, are, are you actually American or like they're doubting if I'm in America, if, cause I say in my act very clearly and I talk about it. I talk about my accent, how I speak French, that I'm American, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's what my act is in French. And they're like, but are you actually American or is this like a big joke are you like a french actress and so i've made a joke about that saying <laughs> people ask me this question you think one of two things either i'm an amazing actress who you know can put on this really good american accent or you think i'm a french person who has no idea how to speak french because it comes out in <laughs> française débile because it comes out so because i make mistakes all the time uh in oh, my wow, language that's, that's a great place to be though if, if people are saying that to you like are you really american like they, they're thinking that you might be french they're that's, thinking it might be french well, i know which is. is a compliment that's so i say it's one of these two things but certainly never that it's actually an american person who's learned to speak french at this level like right. that's just that's not impo- even an option that's impossible it's is impossible. it in their minds and then what i do in the joke is i switch to speaking in english to the audience yeah. and i kind of ride that tension because there's some people that can understand and some people that can some people are laughing and then after i go back into french i'm like and that's the proof that i'm really american not my accent or how i talk but that i spoke english in front of a group of french people for like 30 seconds and i didn't care at all if no one understood me okay (laughs) it's kind of like what paul does sometimes when he performs in french he'll do the first two minutes of his set uh speaking french but with a really strong english accent Mm. and then he switches it after a while, he's like, okay, I'm going to stop speaking this terrible accent now. And then he starts speaking French in the way that he properly speaks French. And the audience are like, oh what? my, oh my God, yeah, an English person who speaks French like a native. It's, this is unbelievable. I mean, it, it is quite unbelievable because it, I mean, his, yeah, 
yeah. it's pretty impressive. It is very. It's like a bit of a, it's quite a nice party trick. It is a nice party yeah. trick, but yeah. I will always have my American accent tagging along with me, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you deal with nerves? You talked about how uh, the first time you performed in French, you were like more nervous oh, than you'd been for ages. Yeah, I mean, you know, we get nervous, don't we, before gigs sometimes. Um, or maybe these days you get you're less nervous than than uh, at, the, at the beginning. Uh, yeah. So how have you learnt to deal with nerves when, let's say, someone is about to do some sort of public mm. bit of public speaking? Yeah. We know that everyone hates public speaking; it's yeah. like the scariest thing in the world. And every, you feel nervous, <laughs> like your body starts yeah. to. I was saying, I was saying to you earlier on that when I first became a teacher, uh, my first maybe first few lessons or even first year or so. Uh, I would feel very nervous in talking in front of the group, especially if I felt that I wasn't really confident, you yeah. know, because if I felt I didn't know what I was talking about, if we started talking about some grammar I didn't understand, I felt so nervous that my, like physically, I, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of, I said to you, uh, my neck would go all stiff. So I couldn't turn my head to look at people on the right or on the left. So I'd have to turn my whole body to like talk to people on the right, turn my whole body to talk to people on the left because I was so uptight and stressed. Literally stiff. Stiff like, like, oh God, can't even move. I'm so nervous. Physical manifestation of your fear. Can't breathe, can't move. No, That's like what it's like when you're really nervous public speaking. So how have you learned how to, how to deal with those feelings? Um, I would give the same advice to my students and I have done it myself. You need you. Okay. You're in these situations. You're nervous. You're going to go give a presentation. You're going to perform stand-up comedy in front of 800 people, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Uh, you should have practiced. And so you can kind of rely on yourself and say, okay, I've practiced. Mm-hmm. So I know what I'm going to say. And that's all I just remember. I know what I'm going to do. And if you haven't practiced, well, that's a whole nother story. But I tell my students oftentimes you need to practice as if you are giving a performance because when you know your lines, whether it's you know your presentation or you know your jokes you're going to say, you're like, okay, I know what I'm going to do and I can kind of handle it. And then body language is important. Um, So yeah. Just like, just fake it till you make it, basically. We're lucky we have the microphone, we have the mic stand. Sometimes if I'm feeling really nervous, I phys- I just hold on to the mic stand as if it was something like a security blanket. And I just... <laughs> you can kind of lean on the mic stand. It makes you look relaxed. It makes you look relaxed even when you're not... And I like, to, sometimes I play with it, you know. It, I haven't done that in a while, but sometimes I've literally been like, I'm just holding on to this mic stand till I can get through and but they don't have mic stands if they're doing a presentation they don't have a maybe you have a podium or you have notes or think about what you're doing with your hands make a choice with your body um you know how are you know don't slump back into a corner against a wall that's the thing that the the, the, Uh, yeah what we want to do is we want to close off our bodies into defensive positions we want to like you know round off the shoulders and that's actually very bad for your brain terrible for your brain terrible for your breathing terrible for your voice and it it just doesn't help you at all you've got to somehow take take back control of your body yes and take up more space there is have you seen this ted talk amy cuddy uh i don't no, maybe, but I, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. But, so maybe I have seen it. Yeah. Maybe you have seen it. It's also neuroscience. It's also, to, you know, to reduce the stress levels in your brain, the cortisol, you need to take up as much space as possible. And so <laughs> you can make this like superhero stance. Yeah. Um, or you could even, before you give a presentation, uh, you can stand at the bathroom stall and literally have your arms up above your head. Anything to make yourself big yeah. 
It's going to physically calm you down. This is neuroscience. They've studied this. It sounds crazy. These are facts. These are facts. And you can Science. see a great TED Talk, which you can watch with subtitles of your choice, whether it's in English yeah. or in, in many languages. It's called Amy Cuddy C. A- C-U-D-D-Y TED Talk. Amy Cuddy TED Talk. Yeah. And if we have a look here. Your body language may shape who you are. It's 20 minutes. It's great. I'm telling my students all the time, I love TED Talks. I think they're super interesting. It's a great Mm. way to get English in a different way because a lot of people like to watch English TV shows, which is great. But if you want something that's a bit more technical – maybe scientific or business. It's great um, po- mm. politics. And also they got all those subtitles. All the subtitles they, and the transcripts. They have transcripts which are interactive so you yes. can click on a word in the transcript and it will take you to that part of the video. TED Talks. I mean, everyone knows about TED Talks but ladies and gents, do you actually use them? You should. They're very, they're very good. Super so, interesting. So yeah, I, I uh, agree completely and I've found that when I get nervous, which I do, you know, often before certain performances, yeah. I will make an effort to stand up because like what you want to do is you want to, you, you, there's this feeling of like you want to sit in a nice little comfortable seat and sort of um, hug yourself with your make note. Make yourself as small make as Make yourself possible. as small as possible with yeah. your notepad and you just look at the notepad. Yeah. No, stand up, uh, move around, sort of push your chest out a bit, arms out by your sides, yep. Ugh, take up lots of space and... Uh, and it just so, somehow, yeah, neuroscience, it yeah. makes you feel good. It makes you feel more comf- uh, it, confident It reduces that the cortisol levels in your brain. Is that it true? It actually calms you down. And this is, I learned that from this TED Talk. So yeah. it's a double whammy. One, you can practice your English. And two, you can learn about how to help yourself before you present. So I'd say practice, 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 practice. practice. And it doesn't mean it's going to, I mean, I still get nervous. I performed like even the other night I was nervous before I went on stage. These nerves do not, I feel like if I don't have nerves before a show, that's probably not a good thing. And I often don't have a very good set. So don't ever think that it's ever going to feel great. But the thing is for me, at least when I go on stage, and I'm just like, ah, oh, and I just like settle in and I feel very comfortable on stage and then it feels great. Yeah. But it's just the lead up. But it's right. okay if the lead up never feels good. <laughs> yeah. You, it's okay to feel nervous beforehand. You can yes. feel bad, but just make sure you get the first minute or two right. Yeah. And then you can relax a bit. It's, it's important to get the, the first impression. Isn't it funny that sometimes uh, when we have a performance like that, we feel the need to kind of say, oh, this is going to be terrible. Or, you know, you kind of like make excuses even. Yeah. Or you or you somehow mess up the first thing that you say, the first impression, you mess it up. You know, we've all done it, right? Yes. Of like saying something that you hadn't planned to say. And the audience is like, what? You know, and it's not funny. And then you're on the back foot. Yeah. So you just so get the first minute right. Don't, don't ever sell yourself short. Don't ever go up and say like, this isn't going to be very good because I just, you know... I I didn't get to do my homework last night or no, don't say that. Yeah. Just go up there and do what you think you should be doing. Yeah. And don't add some negative commentary because people are not thinking that. Yeah. 
there's a little voice in your head which is like, this is terrible. This is going to be terrible. Yeah, you need to tell everyone that it's going to be terrible so that you know that it's terrible too. So that, you know, you don't... And we're all in agreement know. that this is terrible. Yeah. And then you're like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm okay because I also know this is terrible. Okay, everyone. So, you know, you don't need to tell me it's terrible because, hey, I already know it's terrible. Uh, don't yeah. do that. Don't listen to that voice. No. We call... my In my high school, my acting teacher called those actors tapes. We have actors tapes playing in the back of our heads when we're supposed to be presenting or acting. Yeah. And you need to turn off the actor tape. The, for, for me, is when I did, uh, I did like comedy workshops in London and the guy who led those called it switching off your editor. Yeah. So everyone's got an editor in your mm-hmm. head, which is like, no, you can't say that. And you go, no, that's going to be terrible. No, you know, can't, that's unacceptable. People are going to, no one is going to like that. You just have to switch that off completely. And it helps you write things. And it also helps you to just try to be a bit more positive when you, when you do your presentation. Before we finish, can I talk about shame for just a minute? Shame. Shame. So uh, I was going to tell you this earlier. I was like, I'm going to save it for the podcast. One of my favorite shows right now on Netflix is called Big Mouth. And it's a cartoon by American comedian Nick Kroll. Um, It's about puberty. Yeah. And and it is hilarious. They just released their second season. and so you should def you need to watch it. It's okay. so 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 funny. What's it called again? Big Mouth. Big Mouth. Big Mouth. Big on mouth. Netflix. Big Mouth on Netflix. By Nick Kroll, who is I am such a huge fan of his. Did he, he did the Kroll show? He did Kroll show, which is an amazing sketch yeah. comedy show, which I love. Big Mouth is so great. And so you see it's all about puberty. Um yeah. And John Mulaney is his co-star mm-hmm. and Nick Kroll voice, voices a lot of the characters and it just talks about puberty from multiple perspectives, men, men, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. But in season two, this isn't a spoiler alert, but in season two, they have something called the shame wizard. Whoa. So uh, one of the core characters of the show is the hormone monster and the hormone monster is the manifestation of your hormones. It's kind of the devil on your shoulder telling you to do all sorts of things. And so they follow the characters around as they go through puberty. Yeah. Um, but puberty, we- by the way, folks, is that when you change from a child to an adult, yeah. it could be a, co- a complicated a time when your body goes through various changes. It happens when you're sort of, you know, in your early teens. Yeah. Uh, that's puberty. From like 10 to 13, things get, start to kick off. You get spots, you get feelings. You get your period, all sorts of things. Men get other things. <laughs> that's what, And that's what the show is about. But they have the shame wizard come in okay. in season two. And it's a character and it's... It talks about, you know, you have all these feelings, you're not talking to people, and he's kind of whispering in your ear like, yeah, you are awful. And it's like all of those, but that's the voices that we were just talking about before when you're saying you don't think you're very good and you've got to turn Mm. off those tapes. It's the shame wizard coming in. Shame, ladies and gentlemen, is is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. It's when you feel really bad about yourself because perhaps you did something wrong. Anyways, but I've got to go. We've yes. talked way too long. We have talked for a very long time, but it's, it's been very interesting, Sarah. Thank you for coming back onto the podcast. And I hope that you, you feel like after 400 episodes that we've you know moved on a little bit from the last one. Where, but the last one was great anyway. So I think we have. I feel like I've redeemed myself. And um, I hope it will not be another five years before I'm back on the podcast. It won't be. You've been back on the podcast regularly enough, but just not on your own. That's, just that's on my all. own, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, Sarah. Thank you. And thank you for bringing the pumpkin pie as well that you gave to, to us. Yeah, to, to I brought pumpkin pie. I wanted yeah. to bring a little touch of America. Very nice For indeed. Luke and his wife. So, don't listen to the shame wizard. 
Don't listen to those feelings of shame or embarrassment that we do feel from time to time, all of us. Try to ignore those voices, switch it off if possible. When you're speaking English or thinking about your English, the shame wizard might creep up on you and whisper negative thoughts in your ear, making you feel ashamed of yourself. But don't listen to him. Just tell him to get lost. When you've got a presentation to do, the shame wizard might whisper in your ear that everyone thinks you're rubbish and that you've got no right to do what you're doing. Don't listen to him. He's lying. He's full of it. So good advice from Sarah there. I like what she said about, you know, that like your physical your posture, your body language, and how that relates to feeling nervous in the moments before your presentation. Stretch out your arms, stand up, take up some space with your body, stretch your arms out. But don't punch someone in the face accidentally, of course, or on purpose. Like, oh, I'm just stretching. Oh, God, sorry. You know, obviously, health and safety, be careful. But anyway, it's good advice. Uh, What was the presentation, the TED Talk? that um, Sarah mentioned. It was uh, Amy Cuddy, Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are. Um, I've linked that on the page for this episode. Um, I thought it would be worth going through some words, um, some bits of language now, just language to describe stand-up comedy, writing comedy and writing jokes, okay? So let me go through some things here. We've got uh, language to describe parts of a stand-up comedy performance. So we talk about a set, we talk about a bit, and we talk about a joke. Okay, so a set is a whole performance from start to finish. Okay, for example, um, you know, you might say, I did a 15-minute set last night, or, hey, did you see Sarah? She did a 30-minute set, and it was hilarious. That's right, it's a 30-minute set, not a 30-minutes set. A bit... A bit is one part of a comedian's set. It could be a story or just a series of jokes based on a particular premise or topic. For example, she did a whole bit about puberty and it was funny because it was so true. Um, And then a joke, obviously, is one single statement that's intended to make you laugh. It could be a line or a few lines. For example, did Sarah do her chalk joke last night? Like, oh man, I love that joke. Like, yeah, she did the chalk joke, but I don't think the audience actually knew what chalk was. But they laughed anyway, for example. Uh, and then we can break down a joke and look at parts of a joke, okay? The words we use to describe parts of a joke. And by the way, I mean, this language might be useful for you if you're just talking about comedy that you've seen, talking about maybe if you've seen a, a stand-up special on Netflix and you're talking to people about it, or if you've been to a comedy show and you're talking about it, or if you are interested in doing comedy yourself and you're looking for the language that we use to describe, you know, the different parts of a stand-up performance. Let's look at parts of a joke. So a joke can be broken down into parts. You've got the premise of the joke. That's the basic idea, the foundation of it, like just the idea that it's for example it could be just the idea that it's pretty weird that we used to use chalk all the time to write on blackboards but now younger people don't even know what chalk is and essentially we used to write on rocks with other rocks and that was our technology and it was a bit weird now obviously that's just a premise that's a bit well nebulous i mean it's a bit not nebula Uh, No, Luke, that was wrong. It's nebulous. 
that's a bit nebulous. I mean, well, vague is maybe a more commonly used word. It's a bit vague, isn't it, that premise? But it's a starting point. That's a premise. It's just the general idea of a joke, which might be neat. You know, you might need to write it more specifically. You might need to need to get the wording uh, right so that you can create something that's funny that's not just a vague idea. But anyway, that's the premise. It's just the initial idea of a, of a joke. And then you have the setup and the punchline. The setup is um, basically all the parts of a joke that set up the situation and put all the elements in place. Okay. Um, in a simple way, you know, it would be like, um, doctor, doctor, I feel like a pair of curtains. That is the setup. And then pull yourself together. That's the punchline. Okay, now if you don't understand that joke, well, I don't know, uh, what can I do? I, there's not enough time to explain it. Anyway, the wording of a, uh, the punchline, yeah, the punchline is the funny line that hopefully makes people laugh. In this case, pull yourself together. The wording of a joke, that's the specific way the word is, so that's the specific way the joke is worded. The specific construction of a joke. The wording of a joke can be very important in making it funny or not. For example, that doctor doctor joke, if you get the wording wrong, it would be like, you know, um, uh, let's see if I can get that doctor doctor joke wrong. Doctor, uh, so a guy goes to the doctor, uh, because he feels weird he, he, and, you know, he just, he just can't seem to pull himself together. There's something really weird about how he feels. And he says to the doctor, doctor, I feel strange. And the doctor says, what, like a pair of curtains? And the man goes, well, what do you mean? He says, do, do you feel like a pair of curtains? And the man says, well, if you like, yeah, okay. And the doctor says, well, you need to just try and get a grip on yourself, don't you? <laughs> Wording is all wrong. Doesn't work. I mean, may, you may, I don't know, maybe you found that one funnier because you didn't in, understand the original joke, but just trust me, the wording was all wrong. So the, the correct wording would be, a man goes to the doctor and he says, doctor, doctor, I feel like a pair of curtains. And the doctor says, oh, come on, pull yourself together. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Still not funny, but okay. In theory, that's a demonstration of the wording of a joke. Uh, then we've got the word material. And material is basically all the jokes, bits and sets that a comedian has in his or her repertoire. Comedians often will have notebooks full of material. For example, she's got so much material, she could do several Netflix specials now. Then you've got tried and tested material. Tried and tested you hear comedians say, oh, I'm just going to do my tried and tested material tonight. Or how did it go? Yeah, I did my tried and tested. Tried and tested material. Tried and tested material. That's the material that you've done lots of times. You know it well and you're confident that it should get laughs pretty much every time. By the word laugh, L-A-U-G-H, is obviously a verb. It can be a noun to get laughs. But to laugh is the verb. Yeah, strange spelling and, and pronunciation. L-A-U-G-H, pronounced laugh. So it sounds like an F. Anyway, so tried and tested material is the, the stuff, that, the material that you think should get laughs every time because you've done it so many times before. Then you've got the verb to improvise. Uh, that means to just make things up on the spot without preparation. It's another thing that comedians do sometimes. And then an open mic. So an open mic or an open mic night is the sort of comedy show that you do as a performer when you first start out as a comedian. 
often it's difficult to find stage time so you have to go to these shows called open mic nights where it's basically anyone an open mic night means that anyone can perform and often these open mics are good places to try out new material but often the whole arrangement of an open mic night is not exactly professional level show business it could be just in the back room of a bar with kind of people coming and going and a generally sketchy atmosphere Okay, so that was just some language of comedy that you might find useful and which I think appeared, I think all of that stuff appeared in the conversation. Now, you might be thinking, what about that whole Louis C.K. thing, Luke? Didn't Sarah open one of his shows in Paris recently? You talked about it on the podcast, didn't you, Luke? Uh, Well, yeah, recently on the podcast, I talked a bit about how disgraced comedian Louis C.K. had made a surprise visit to one of our comedy shows in Paris. Sebastian Marx's show, The New York Comedy Night, to be exact. And Sarah was invited to be one of the other comedians on the show. And it was quite a tricky decision for her, whether she should perform or not, and whether performing was somehow her sort of saying, yeah, what Louis C.K. did was fine, or or whether she should uh, talk about it in her set. And, you know, so it was a bit complicated. Um, so you'll see that in the end, in this episode, we don't actually talk about that, mainly because we ran out of time. But if you'd like to hear Sarah expressing her thoughts on that situation, then you can. Uh, you can check out an episode of another podcast called The Europeans, which is a podcast about Europe and European life. Sarah was interviewed on that show, and she talked about the whole situation uh, with you know the, that Louis C.K. show. She talked about it very clearly. So have a look. Uh, the name of the podcast is The Europeans, and she was in the episode from the 20th of November 2018. Her interview starts at about 23 minutes into the episode. There's a link uh, on the website, on the page for this episode, as usual. So it's The Europeans podcast from the 20th of November. Uh, that's where you can hear Sarah talking very articulately about her experience of performing on a show with Louis C.K. recently. Also on the page for this episode, you'll see, um, the, as I said, the link to the TED talk about body language. Uh, you'll see a trailer for that uh, comedy show that Sarah recommended called Big Mouth, uh, which is available on Netflix. Some other words that came up, there was the word nebula, um, which is a noun, and that's a cloud of gas and dust in space. I don't know, not a word you'll need to use very often, I suppose, unless you go on a space mission and be like, oh, look at that nebula. Like, oh, that's nice. But the the other word that I was looking for was the word nebulous, N-E-B-U-L-O-U-S, which is an adjective. And that means kind of formless and vaguely defined. Now, you might just want to use the word vague or ambiguous instead. But I was saying that sometimes... Um, uh, when you, you have a, a joke idea, it's kind of nebulous in the beginning and then you, you get it more specific as you as you work on it. But you might want to just say vague. It's probably a easier word. Uh, the word puberty came up as well. That's that period of uh, um, adolescence. It's I guess it's sort of between the age of about, typically from about 10 years old all the way through to, you know, the middle teenage years, I guess. Uh, puberty it's just when children start to change into adults it's a difficult time because there are lots of physical changes that can be quite dramatic and sort of 
weird and scary and also emotional hormonal changes and stuff that whole period is called puberty um and then then there's the word shame um as i mentioned i think in this episode that kind of feeling of um um like uh, lots of bad negative feelings feeling that you're humiliated by something that you've done or just feeling very bad about yourself and the word uh self-esteem as well i thought did that come up i'm not sure but i thought it was worth mentioning it anyway your self-esteem is basically your confidence in your in your own value or your own worth it's your confidence in your abilities or it's a a sense of self-respect so you know it's it can be very common for people to have low self-esteem many of us just go around in our lives just you know carrying feelings of shame for whatever reason or low self-esteem um and it's it's very normal but we you know like in that show big mouth uh we have to just try and i guess ignore the shame wizard and and you know try to protect our self-esteem and remember that perhaps if anyone is judging us we are the ones who are judging ourselves the most harshly and other people don't really care that much you know they're not judging us as much as we think so um you know we should give ourselves a break okay and feel a bit better about ourselves um i mean we're all we're all uh uh sort of vulnerable to feelings of low self-esteem for whatever reason but you know give yourself a break today uh, no need to feel too no need to judge yourself too harshly uh, there are links on the page for this episode for the previous episodes with sarah if you enjoyed her uh, appearance then you can listen to those ones too uh, but that's it for this episode thank you so much for being a listener to this podcast and for, for being a generally wonderful human being for listening all the way to the end without uh, throwing your mobile phone into a lake uh, why would you do that? I don't know. I'd, I'm not you. I can't. I can't uh, account for your actions. Um, but that's it then. Speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.